Our people were the first scientists and knew how to navigate, knew the types of snowflakes that fell, knew whenever certain plants grew, then you had this much time to do whatever you needed to do in that part of the year. And knowing these things and reteaching them, the goal was to help our people reconnect, our young people reconnect to the lands and reconnect to the culture, become better humans, and implementing our ancestral teachings. Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast. This episode is part of the Life in the Land project, which is a series of films and podcasts produced by Stories for Action, which hears from folks that interact with the complexities of Montana's landscapes and communities, speaking to the value of locally led and collaborative work and the holistic approaches needed for healthy communities and the ecosystems that they're a part of. I'm your host, Laura Tomov. Today's episode, as well as our previous episode, is a conversation that I had while at the Strengthening the Circle gathering in Bozeman, Montana in April. This gathering aims to build the capacities of experienced and emerging native-led nonprofit organizations that are working to improve economic development, education, and social services on or near reservations. This year's gathering brought folks who are passionate about bettering their own communities, from around Montana, Washington, Idaho, North and South Dakota, Hawaii, and more. The gathering is hosted by Bozeman-based organization Hopa Mountain, whose mission is to invest in rural and tribal citizen leaders who are improving education, ecological health, and economic development. I encourage you to check out hopamountain.org to find out about the many programs that they host and partner on, including community leadership programs, local food programs, and connecting young folks to mentors and other services to help them succeed in college or vocational schools, and so much more. They're all about community-guided and holistic approaches, something that myself and the Life in the Land Project always want to uplift. Today, you'll hear the conversation that I had with Helene Gaddy, co-founder and executive director of Generations Indigenous Ways, or GIW. This is a community-based native nonprofit organization that's dedicated to empowering American Indian youth with the knowledge of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM education, enhanced by Ogallala Lakota values and way of life using indigenous sciences. While their current range and focus encompasses the Pine Ridge Reservation area in South Dakota and partially in Nebraska, they welcome the participation of youth from all backgrounds who have a desire to understand and strengthen the Ogallala Lakota relationship with land through discovering and exploring the unique ecosystems and environmental issues of the area. Generations Indigenous Ways host camps in all seasons, including summer camps for grades 6 through 12 which consists of hands-on learning that integrates traditional Lakota values and indigenous science with Western science, touching on everything from geology, astronomy, ecosystem health, learning modern technologies such as GPS and GIS, or learning about physics through archery with bows that they construct themselves. GIW also hosts after-school programs and community science seminars for all ages of Ogallala Lakota Oyate about Lakota culture and sustainability of local ecosystems, 
and about current and developing environmental issues that affect these ecosystems. These seminars are open to the public, and topics include local geology, Lakota star knowledge, Lakota mathematics, water rights, renewable energy and alternative heating, and the science behind the tar sands and the Keystone XL pipeline. GIW also works to improve connection of the community to healthy and traditional foodways. They offer classes on gardening and traditional foods preparation. Every year, they also lead a Lakota traditional buffalo kill and harvest, and a community feed takes place to honor the buffalo kill. GIW's work and curriculum is derived from the Native Science Field Center, which is hosted at Blackfeet Community College and is a partner of Hope Mountain. And the Field Center aims to engage students in environmental science field programs that integrate traditional ways of knowing, native language, and Western science methods. Helene's story and messages provide great insight for anyone already leading a community-guided organization or anyone who sees a need in their community but doesn't know where to start to take action, anyone working in the space of youth outreach, education, science, and for anyone within the Ogallala Lakota Nation or beyond who just want to hear about inspiring and impactful work. Helene begins with an introduction of herself, her family, and the place she calls home. Um, good afternoon, good day. My name is Helene Gaddy. My Lakota name is Pretty Flower Woman. I'm from the Oglala Lakota Nation and I reside in the community of Lost Dog. And that's on the northeast side of the Pine Ridge Reservation in current day South Dakota. And I come from the Bear Runner Rock Teoshpai on my mom's side. And my dad's side, I come from the Quiver Romero Teoshpai. And um, I married, my husband is Waylon Gaddy. I live with my husband and we are raising our two Takoja boys, our grandsons, our great nephews, however you want to um, word it with kinship. But um, Lyndon and Blaze and our Chinkshi, our, our son, our, our nephew's son that we raised, Dylan, he lives nearby. And we also have our older son, Shiloh, and live way out on the northeast side of the Pine Ridge Reservation. I asked Colleen to share the overview of the organization she leads and what it was she was noticing around her in her personal or professional life that sparked the beginning of this work. Generations Indigenous Ways, it's a native nonprofit organization, grassroots organization in the Pine Ridge Reservation, founded in 2013, and we are an affiliate of the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples. We wanted a better life for our children. It was a conversation around the table with my, my husband and my cousin Mabel after a really good cup of coffee. And um, just on all of our experiences on what we see, we live on the eastern side of the Pine Ridge Reservation where the opportunities for our youth are, are less because the headquarters are on the western side of the reservation in the agency and when federal funds come to the tribe it seems to trickle out throughout the districts and then our districts out in the pass creek and the eagle nest district always get left out and i used to work at oglala lakota college my actually resigned from my job to found this organization 
and um, was part of the Native Science Field Center, which was an umbrella program through with Hopa Mountain, with Oglala, Lakota, the Blackfeet, Shoshone, and Arapaho tribes. It was called Native Science Field Centers, where we learned interculturally about how our Lakota children learn better through indigenous science. And it was a scientific research, you know, funded by, by the Bush Foundation, National Science Foundation, to test the theory of how our indigenous children learn. You know, through that learning, our young people learn best when they are, you know, connected to their culture. And having to have that narrative written down so that Western education can understand it. Because as indigenous people, we knew that already. But apparent, you know, of course, with Western education, you have to show evidence and results and tests and all of these things, how they define our children and how they define how education should be. We started our program because we wanted to teach our children our Lakota culture by our ancestral teachings and not have to get the approval from all in all the government basically in working with federal programs you have to go by their standards where we couldn't do a traditional buffalo harvest we couldn't feed our children our traditional foods that we harvested ourselves because you had to get permission you had to get all these different certifications and then it had to go through these federal processes just for us to teach our lakota children and it was so hard and oppressive just going through that process and also teaching our way of life our songs our traditions and everything that goes with harvesting our traditional foods and that's botany you know when you're thinking about harvesting traditional plants learning about soils everything is labeled and it has a scientific process with it that needs to be documented and you know, it has to have a narrative with sources. In our culture, our language is oral, our teachings are oral. We have to try to remember that. We have to remember that the best that we can so we can pass that knowledge on. And hands-on education is really comfortable for our Lakota, for our indigenous youth, because that's how we learn things. So when we founded generations indigenous ways we you know the mission is to enhance Lakota culture through indigenous sciences in the lands of the seven council fires and when you talk about the seven council fires that's Ocheti Shakoi and that's the Lakota Dakota Nakota in in the area in western textbooks they'll call it the great Sioux nation um, it's the Tituan nation through terms of Western um, explorers, I say they, you know, they were lost, but um, it's the perception, you know, and that's how they documented indigenous people of this continent. But in the the Ocheti Shakoi, we have different teachings, we have different um, dialects of language, and learning about that is important. And that was our mission was to have it broad in learning about indigenous science. My husband has really um, always been culturally grounded. He's always known the songs, 
his teachings that were passed to him from his grandpa, his family, you know, growing up in our culture. And then, of course, the sciences. That's what I do. And I wasn't a teacher. I started out as a nurse. Helene went to nursing school and worked as a health liaison. When she was in her early 20s, she went in to apply to be a nurse for the tribe. She ended up not pursuing the position when it seemed that they were only hiring her on the principle that her mother also worked for the tribes as a nurse. She says this, of not wanting to pursue the position based upon the standards that they were willing to hire her. And that's the way that my dad taught me and my grandma taught me. I was real fortunate that my grandma raised me since I was like 12 weeks old. I was her baby. And she was such a good, strong, independent Lakota Wea. And she, you know, she ran her own farm. She never leased her land out. She knew how to manage her land. She did what she had to do to make the best quality life for her Tioshbai extended family, for her children and her grandchildren. She, you know, people didn't always agree. Our family, I didn't always agree with her, but she had this unconditional love for everybody, no matter what their faults were. Mm. You know, like navigating through reservation life when there's so much dysfunction and trauma. She still made every single one of us grandkids feel like we were her favorite. Mm. That's how awesome she was. And, um, and taught me that. And taught, like, you earn everything. Like, I remember when I was little, she used to say, go to college and you won't have to pull weeds in the garden. <laughs> go to college and you won't have to feed animals. And I hated it. <laughs> and here I was, you know, a college graduate in my garden. You know, my grandma said I would never have to pull weeds. And come to find out that she knew all the secrets to living a good, healthy life. And, and economical, you know, canning your own food and being more healthy and everything and sometimes you know I think like gee what would grandma do I always think <laughs> that you know but having those teachings in it was easy to walk away from dysfunctionalism I guess mm -hmm. or always seeing positive I heard that here at this conference was no matter what see the positive be positive and that's how she was that was a fundamental teaching that she taught myself and my siblings my cousins all of us and then you fast forward you know when i went back to school to take one class statistics class i ended up signing up for a, a natural science degree with earth science emphasis and realizing that learning about the land and the water is a big prevention tool in healthcare, in helping our people with health because we understand and trying to help young people understand that also. Trying to help our young people understand that we have to take care of the earth. We have to defend Mother Earth. We have to stop all of these environmental impacts from affecting us so that our people don't get sick. And recognizing early intervention signs in native country, native lands, current native lands. There's always this stereotype that, you know, we're pitiful, we're, we have a hard time, we're the poorest country, especially Pine Ridge Reservation. You always see the stereotypes, but you don't see the beautiful land, you don't see the strongest culture, and you don't realize that we are suffering from, in, in, in uh, you know, in um, environmental racism, 
as well as racism and um, every type of discrimination, you know, even down to the electric companies, that kind of discrimination, you get bad service compared to an urban area or, you know, um, a, a local city, uh, urban town or whatever, you, that, that you pay the same, maybe more, but you don't get the service. And it's discriminatory. The water, everything is. And teaching those things, and when we founded Generations Indigenous Ways, the goal was to help our people reconnect, our young people reconnect to the lands and reconnect to the culture, become better humans, and implementing our ancestral teachings. Not just saying it because it's objective, you have to check it off. Oh, we're going to do this count. Check it off. That happens a lot. People have a three-year grant cycle and that's that. True. But you have to find the people who are invested. And when we started Generations Indigenous Ways, it was a group of us that were invested. We had a mission and $5, and no sponsorship. We didn't know anything about fiscal sponsorship. Kind of, I did. I came to Strengthening the Circle when I was at Oglala Lakota College and worked with the Native Science Field Center, and that's where I met Bonnie and learned about Native nonprofits. And in my mind, I felt I fit in. When I, when I um, met the crew from Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples, I felt these are my people and you know like today I sit on the board for seven generation fun and it's like mm. the same beliefs that you're brought up with right. being you know even as a funder how important that is because as you were saying with non-native funders because you have you have to check these certain boxes and fit your work into something that it, parameters that don't work for the work you're trying to do don't actually help the community in the way you want to so I'm sure it just opens up that freedom to do it in the way that you genuinely want mm -hmm. to because you have funders who understand. <laughs> the funders, they understand you. They support you. They like, can we have a buffalo mm. harvest? Yes. Can we teach our children the protocols of harvesting our traditional medicines? Yes, that's what we want, you know, and it's just beautiful. And and I don't want to say empowering or enlightening. I, I guess those are the words to use that, but it... Um, what I see as a success from Generations Indigenous Ways when we started till now, we used to get questioned a lot. How did you do this? Who let you do this? Mm -hmm. Did you have to hire an attorney to apply to be a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Who's your board? Well, where's your Robert Rules? You know, all these different things and you have to stay in compliance and you have to learn all of these things. But your leadership there, or I should say your organizational um, fundamentals or foundation is indigenous, can be indigenous to your tribe and to your culture and upbringing. And, you know, everybody respects each other. Whenever we do have a misunderstanding and we come together, we work it out. And it's challenging. You will learn. I'm learning along the way. I'm learning big time. I keep an open mind on um, making sure that our community's needs are met. We have these intense science camps. I say they're intense. I love them. But I think, and a lot of times I think our staff, we have more fun, or just as much fun as the youth. An example is here we are, we're 
studying about fluvial morphology and you know we have our tablets out and we're learning about the stream flow and then i look up and i see our mentors with no you know they're already down to their swim trunks and they're <laughs> building a dam up there and i'm like what is that kids you know and they're like look at them they're playing i say you can go play with them but what are they doing you know that's a human impact and then they're over there like you know these are like college students environmental <laughs> science and engineering and they're like hey you know enjoying it and, yeah. and it's like that through summer camp like pretty soon like we're gonna build this rotisserie thing you know because we would tell them the the campers if you kill an animal you got to eat it and the boys one's a mentor today he was a camper oh. then they killed a snake and it just so happened there was an elder there that knew how to prepare it and take the it was a rattlesnake so he took the rattle off and took the venom out and taught him how to cook it and they had to eat it mm. So And then, you know, one year they accidentally killed a duck, apparently, with the archery. Oh. So I pull in and they're like, check it out. And that's what they were building this oh. rotisserie thing over the fire. And I'm like, and there's no Wi-Fi down where we camp. We try to camp yeah, in yeah. places where the kids can be really connected. Yeah. And they can go up the canyon too at five o'clock or four o'clock you know to contact home or whatever and but we really want them to be engaged and to yeah. learn so when we started we scouted out different campsites the ecosystems of how we wanted to do this and our summer program was the first one in it's called the lakota summer science field institute the first part they learn how to make their bows the bow making and so we found these different campsites where we can learn about the different geology also hands-on because you can teach young people all you want you can do powerpoints you can do worksheets but if they can't camp in that land they can't lay on the ground they can't touch it you know we're all going to understand things on different levels also some it's just going to blow off they're going to go on their way some will take it all in and graduate from botany school or become engineers and you know so we took that first year to gather supplies and to look for these campsites that are connected to our people and also the different scientific teachings like we really want to focus on geology in the badlands and also the human impacts and then we want to teach about the headwaters and we camp at the headwaters of the Mississippi River, you know, right there where it comes out of the aquifer in the creeks, right mm -hmm. there in Yellow Bear Canyon in, the, in our reservation. And that comes out and it's, it's a buffalo pasture, National, you know, the tribes, um, parks and recreation is actually one of the first buffalo pastures with tribes across the continent. Mm -hmm. So there's no domesticated animals unless we bring our animals in. We are the domesticated, you know, the impact with our us human beings. And so there's the traditional plants and the waters and they, you know, they learn about that. And, and then the following week, we try to take them to all of our Lakota sacred sites. And normally when we're doing our creation stories and our teachings and our sacred sites, we go in those certain times when we're supposed to, according to our Lakota calendar and asking different elders you know take them you got them there give them that opportunity because 
The more our Lakota children visit our sacred sites, the stronger their spirit will be. The spirits will recognize them and they'll get that blessing mm. every time they visit those sites. And they're in the Black Hills and, you know, teaching about the human impacts there because, you know, like as we know today, they're trying to start up some more gold mines, some dark matter mine, you know, all these different things and to keep that protected. So that's the importance of that. And, and then also exposing them to different science careers, you know, opportunities to visit with engineers, ethnobotanists, epidemiologists. And, you know, when they want to come and volunteer, some are non-native, some are native, but they have the opportunity to learn right there. Like, ask him, you know, she's got a PhD in atmospheric science, you know, bringing the experts to the the youth so that they have that encyclopedia right there. Some of the challenges that I see are we have like three generations of of our people who have been really impacted by the boarding school and by that cultural disconnection. And myself, I'm the, myself, me and my brothers and my sister are the first generation of our parents who weren't affected by the boarding. So what we're affected with children, we're survivors. Our parents, my mom and dad were both boarding school, um, you know, and then my dad's, my dad's mom, the one who, my grandma who raised me, she's a boarding school survivor. Mm. When she graduated high school, then her younger siblings got to go with her. I, and I always believed that that's why she had that family value and she instilled it in us because they, they didn't have any parents. And, you know, with this whole uprising of the, the boarding school and the abuse and none of the survivors coming back, and she, she never heard from two older brothers. Mm. And sometimes I think about it, like I have their picture in my living room. There were these letters where the superintendent from the Pine Ridge Agency are bringing these children to Genoa, Nebraska. And her brothers were sent to a sanitarium and she never seen them again. And, you know, to live, she lived to be 100 years old to live that long. And always would say that. I never saw him again. He never came back. But having those teachings and then like our children that come to camp, we, and I always think that's why she loved us so much too. And through the end, like when she was going to leave us, she wouldn't hardly speak English. So we had to like really try to learn, but she would answer mm. us back in English, you know, like grandma, I'm going to the store. And then, huh? You know, and she couldn't hear me. And then I'd be saying, Masopi, which is store, Masopi Ekta, Bajola, you know, over there in Martin. That's all, like, that's how choppy my Lakota <laughs> knowledge, you know, is to, to make sentences and stuff. And, um, and she, oh, yeah, could you get me some chips? And I'm like, huh, you know, <laughs> but knowing that, going through that and realizing that no matter what, the United States government tried to do to our people. She survived the boarding school and she raised some crazy, wild, strong Lakotas. Mm -hmm. 
and she left this world knowing her language and knowing her kinship and instilled that in all of us. But when I was an intern at the college and worked with Native Science Field Center, I'd say, Grandma, you want to come with me? Yeah. And then she all of a sudden opened the trunk because she'd have food for the camper kids mm. and buy snacks at the store and, you know, and just sit there. And when we had environmental science seminars, you know, we call them informal science seminars because it's, you know, when you go to a science conference, everybody's all in suit tie and sure, it's real yeah. formal and everything. Yeah. But we want to bring it to the people so that they feel comfortable and understand and, you know, set up your PA system in a park and have chairs there and our elders are. And it's really important, you know, and she'd come and always support us, mm. and, you know, and, and so would my dad. And we always say that sometimes, you know, like he'd be at camp with us or, you know. They, they probably are, you know, in spirit. And a lot of times you ask yourself, what would they think? What would we do? What would they do? Helene segues this into the prioritization of doing what needs to be done for the betterment of the community with a prioritization on the elders and shares how her and the work of Generations Indigenous Ways jumped into action at the first news of COVID-19 making its way around the world, starting up a program they call Indigenous Response. Helene references Bonnie here, who is Bonnie Sachatello Sawyer, the co-founder and executive director of Hopa Mountain. We um, was working with Bonnie on a conference call talking about the COVID-19 in January. And it's hitting over there and we've seen clips on um, in the newspaper. This is going to hit us, you know. In late February, Bonnie was like, do you think that generations indigenous ways would, how would you do it? And I said, I wonder if we can find support for, you know, to help our campers. And Bonnie had this um, simple recipe for Clorox and dilution and paper towels and giving this out. How can we give this to elders without offending them? That was my thing. Sure, yeah. Well, we need to give them coffee and sweets. <laughs> so our very first distribution during the pandemic was coffee, cookies, Clorox, and paper towels, toilet paper. <laughs> and they loved it, And but then they didn't know COVID, have never heard of it. You know, we, we just, on a grassroots level, we formed this initiative called Indigenous Response. And it was Lakota Response to COVID-19. And that, that first distribution turned into a two-year distribution of 550 elder kits every month, bi-weekly, every month. The cool thing about that was it wasn't nothing new to GIW, to Generations Indigenous Ways, because these were the things that we teach at camp year-round. We do buffalo harvests. That buffalo feeds the entire year's program. We planted a garden. Those garden goods fed the the camps year-round. The work of the Indigenous Response Program continues today, and they continue to distribute kits, which include sanitation and food, and provide information and resources of Lakota prevention healing services for the community members, with a focus on the elderly population. They know that many of the elders are in the high-risk category, and that they are also the oral historians, the language speakers, and the cultural educators of their community. Generations Indigenous Ways also has this focus on getting out information to community members 
to have all-around sustainable and healthy lifestyles. This includes assisting community members in learning and having access to healthy and traditional foods. They provide gardening classes and other support for community members to carry out a successful garden at home. All of these aspects of work that Generation Indigenous Ways is involved in shows the connections of all of these things and that holistic approach that's necessary. It is all connected. Community health and well-being, including elderly support, youth empowerment, social connections, and public health. That's directly connected to environmental health, land stewardship and land rights, connecting to culture, identity, and traditional life ways, and all of the above connects back to food and access to healthy and traditional foods. This is what Helene was mentioning when she said that as an organization, they need to stay flexible in order to adjust to the needs of the community and to respond accurately and realistically. And I think as a society, as we reconnect with these more holistic approaches, that's something that entities are realizing from you know organizations that work in conservation or watershed health and public health or agencies that they need to modify their approach so that they're able to be more flexible in the focus of their work as our challenges and environments obviously are shifting. Helene elaborates here on some of the approaches that she found consistently lead to success in any of the work that Generations Indigenous Ways partakes in. Partnering with other organizations is key. It still is key, networking, because you can't do it by yourself. Mm. And bringing the community in wherever you're doing the programming, like even with our camps, if we're camping on the west side of, of the reservation, we call there's, if there's local people there to come and present. Or, and then when they come, help them feel welcomed so that they feel like, you know, that's theirs. Because the idea of these seasonal science camps and these, you know, the cultural aspect is to make it so that they are comfortable enough to just do it. And so more children can have these opportunities because we can only serve, what, 20 children a camp? And what if that was in all communities, if there was a program like that? Right. You know? And that's the value in having it originally guided by yourselves from within the community because then it's not like an umbrella entity if they leave that will all disappear right you're establishing things you're getting the excitement you're getting established in the skill sets Mm -hmm. so that it has longer lasting Mm -hmm. potential Mm -hmm. and can grow into whatever it needs Mm -hmm. to grow into right yeah (laughs) and i know you know one area that you guys focus on with the the youth is climate and climate science and that's one thing that I feel just in public narratives that we don't hear from young people enough um, about climate. And I'm just curious if you could share some of the things of, you know, ways that you teach about climate, things you hear young people talking about climate, just kind of with your organization's work, like what are the things that come up and um, the words that are coming from young people about the climate change, their perspective? A lot of times... Maybe they have knowledge, you know, they're very bright young people. Just teaching different formulas on how to do the different testing for the environment, you know, air quality, water quality, erosion, soil testing and stuff. The processes that come out of it is new. The term climate change 
is new to a lot of the youth or the awareness of it. We do so much of it, not so much about this is climate change prevention. You know, we're not going to come out and say, we're preventing climate change here. This is how we're going to do it or we're going to navigate through it. But we teach like how our ancestors lived. Everything that um, the Lakota way of living was prevention and it was earth friendly concepts and everybody gets their own dish at the first day of camp mm -hmm. their their dish that they have they're responsible to wash it after every meal teaching about reduce reuse recycle respect to where we have a four-day camp with 40 people and only one bag of trash mm -hmm. and teaching where those recyclables go and why it's important to recycle, why it's important not to use so much of this plastic, or why styrofoam is not allowed in our camp programming. It hurts me when I see styrofoam. But, um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and, and teaching about the atmospheric sciences in the very first week, and I don't know if it's scary or, um, you know, it's not taught in schools in South Dakota. There was an initiative that took out climate change. But these are the ways that we, we teach, like the foundational science of it, the greenhouse gases, what's in the atmosphere. These are the different layers and what's impacting them and let them come through to figure that out. Not so much to scare young people, but also teaching them the harvesting calendar of our traditional plants and showing like, well, this should have been here at this time, but this is why. And real life events, like our um, storms that are more, uh, the impact of them are more extreme. And the snow, I'm not complaining this winter. It's been a really long, cold, snowy winter. I feel comforted knowing that the snow stuck on the ground longer than a couple days. Because we've had like almost a decade of years where it only snowed twice and that's in south dakota and it's supposed to snow till june it does it did this year but the impact that the climate change has had on our plants and our medicines and our harvests and our animals teaching them about you know what can we do how do we navigate through climate change now and how do we Find the resources, our traditional, our earth-friendly resources, so that we can have a less carbon footprint. That's a big thing, is teaching that carbon footprint. And just different ways of explaining climate change to where it becomes a comfortable topic for young people to talk about. Normalizing. Yeah, normalizing yeah. it. And we're Native, and it was, our, our people were the first scientists and knew how to navigate, knew the types of snowflakes that fell, to how to get prepared, knew whenever certain plants grew, then you had this much time to do whatever you needed to do in that type in in that part of the year, and knowing these things and reteaching them, and like us, we're human, we're a species just like the tree, the deer, the buffalo, the fish, we're a species of the earth. We're just one population and we have the responsibility because we have a voice to, you know, advocate for the other species who are our relatives. And when we start to see, teach that, 
teach our youth to see other species as relatives, then the respect comes naturally. That in part helps in navigating through climate change. Right, or it's not just do A, B, and C, you know, change your light bulbs or, you know, recycle. It's reconnecting with the way of being, mm -hmm. right? So it's just the way that we are functioning, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you might not see it on a big scale, like you want these results right away, you know? Sure, yeah. And these are young, young people that are taking these teachings, you know, in order to learn good, to build leadership skills, they have to feel good about themselves. You have to instill that good self-esteem in them, help them know who they are, help them get that foundation so they can go home and be a leader in their Teoshbae and teach these things. We're not going to use any more of this. We're going to do it this way. This is more earth-friendly. And then that teaching gets instilled in maybe their younger relatives, not so much the older ones sometimes, maybe then that teaching riffles out. Right. Yeah, and to get them excited about it. And that's yeah. empowering, right? Otherwise, yeah. so they don't feel hopeless of this big problem. But like you said, it, it really is. It's teaching a reconnection, right? It's not reinventing a wheel. It's just reconnecting to your traditional ways, traditional science that, you know, um, indigenous folks practice for thousands of years. And that camp lifestyle yeah, that camp. brings, like for Lakota teachings, that brings back the Teoshpai system. Mm. because that's how we lived we had sure. our roles within the camp we were clean you know so when we camp we try our best to we go into an environment of course we mow we clear it out and everything we build our own kitchen um, uh, of course we have to bring in porta potties but everything is there we bring in our water we make sure that when in our, our lodges and our classroom sites are built on site and when we leave, we leave without a trace, like our ancestors. Make it, make sure that it's clean. And I'm a stickler on it. And you know, and our advisory board members are sticklers on it. Making sure these young people clean, clear out. You know, like this is an ancestral teaching. When we left, we left as we seen it when we came. And you know, really following through on that. You just go wholeheartedly, and you can you get it done. Sure. You're going to find the people who have the compassion and the heart to do it, and you're, the youth who want to learn, and the families that want to learn, they're going to support their children, mm. and they're stronger adults. Right. Do you have any examples that come to mind of a, a story of an individual, and not to name names, just where you saw a spark happen in a young person? Maybe, I'm sure you see it all the time, but if any, does anything come to mind? That there is, there is a, um, there's a lot of examples. And um, we try to follow up with our youth, you know, as we go along. And in the early years through the Native Science Field Center, just looking back and seeing the, those, the youth there are probably about in their 20s, you know, and watching them graduate from college from nursing school. Some are auto mechanics, some are art. The evaluation tool, the, the examples that I like to see is a young man who finished his four years at Sundance mm -hmm. and his sisters and all of these young people were in camp and they learned how to prepare traditional food. They learned about a feast. They learned about giveaways. They learned about all this stuff when, when to harvest these traditional foods and how. 
and the sciences of that. And when he finished his ceremony and he was re he was gonna give his wopila or his thank you, his sisters prepared that entire feast and mm -hmm. fed the people. Wow. You know, of course they're all you know they graduated auto mechanics, nursing, you know Lakota studies, different things like that, and ones in university. But as young people, they had the courage or the being comfortable. Mm not timid, not shy, not second-guessing themselves. They had the gumption or they had the will, the want, normalizing that to where they honored their brother. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's it shows you the holistic benefits to it, right? It's not just like, oh, we'll prepare you for a career in STEM. Maybe, you know, that that's one path that you might get sparked through these programs. But it's this holistic connection and character building and empowering that that these programs are giving to mm -hmm. young people. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like you do get the occasional invitation for your young person who came through camp and then through college was a mentor and then graduates from Dartmouth mm -hmm. and sends back that invitation and then comes back and says, yep, I grew up right here in the same community as you and I just graduated from Dartmouth. I'm a botanist, you know, and, and then it's, and they're like, because oh. when you see it, you know, when, when the young girls see it, the young boys see it, Right. They see their Lakota warriors like, he's a scientist and, sure. you know. Right, and, and I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that they can testify too that oh if you continue into a stem career and go to dartmouth and come back that it's not like oh then you're only doing western science by you know some other person's standards that you're able to incorporate all of those different ways of you know interpreting science and and you can still do it in your own way right mm -hmm. just because you go off um for a certain education or anything doesn't mean Oh, then you're now doing it in a different way. It's like, yeah. no, bring that with you mm -hmm. and incorporate and, it. And bring it back. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And teaching the fundamentals, like through the program, teaching these young people the fundamentals of science and research. You know, they, these high school students. And when they learn how to do a college grade field book, mm. a week of doing, because they teach at the college sometimes with the, the botany or the traditional plants and foods and showing these young people I know they could do it and they can do and I, I tell them like I teach this to my college students and this is college grade work here yeah. and then you get a call I got an internship because I knew how to do filled books you know so then they, they and they're in college somewhere hey guess what I got this I'm not gonna make it to the summer program and I'm just like good yeah. That's what we want, yeah. oh, you know? Awesome. I asked Colleen to share about a program, Strengthening the Support for Elders, which sparked out of the Indigenous Response Program of GIW, which is the program that connects community members to necessary care in the midst of COVID. In Indigenous Response, we really helped our culture bearers and our most vulnerable populations in the Pine Ridge Reservation in carrying out those um, food kits traditional foods but healthy also and the medicines the traditional medicines that were harvested by our people mm. to give to them and those were covid specific medicines for remedies and preventions mm. and um teaching the protocols so that our young our lakota young people and of all ages 
would know how to respect that plant and that plant community and harvesting and making sure that they were doing our part the best that we can to get them their essentials they need so they won't be exposed to COVID. Wouldn't have to be. You know, making sure that they have the fundamentals to clean their house and the toiletries so they wouldn't have to make just a random trip to the grocery store where they can get exposed to COVID and get possibly get sick. That's what we were ultimately trying to prevent. And then throughout time, we, we formed partnerships with other grassroots organizations in the Pine Ridge Reservation and surrounding area up in Rapid City. And the, all of our resources came together and helped get these elder kits out, but also with the leadership from Knife Chief Buffalo Nation with our Tui, Ethelene, and Ate Rick, two dogs, helped us reach the mental wellness with our youth and um, with our women. Through Indigenous Response, the Women's Equity Movement came about, the Oglala Women's Equity Movement, and this was to help address equality mm. with our reaching our relatives and uplifting each other and um, helping with initiatives to fight domestic violence and trafficking. We had a relative who was chased, gunned down, chased off the reservation, and the guy only got 45 days in jail. And just different things like that that came up that um, sparked a fire, sparked a flame, and um, helping still keeping that in mind with the generational teachings. So the Petaka Ilepi came about, which is still going with Thunder Valley and different organizations. But that was to bring our creation stories and our teachings in a virtual setting to keep our elders and our youth connected. And then later on, the Strengthening the Elders through a Cargill grant with um, Seven Generation Fund and Hopa Mountain came about. And the Strengthening the Elders program is, um, there's four communities to help with long-term elder support. So that would be the Oglala um, Lakota Nation, the Blackfeet, the um, Absalika or the Crow, and the Northern Cheyenne. The first phase is to learn about our community, our elders' needs. And some of us have been working. We've learned. Oh, we, I've learned a lot in the pen. I, I learned these wagon trails to our elders' house, found out that more wow. than, you know, the dynamics, like what they live, what probably don't see it as a hard time, but do they need running water? Do they need heating? Do they need protection? With the rise of opioid and meth addictions and different drug, you know, our, a lot of our elders are living in fear. Mm. And um, that I would never known. I would have never realized that un unless it was, wasn't for these community meetings that we had with elders. Like, tell us what you need. And mm. we're not just taking this lightly. We're not just asking you all what you need just so we can write it down. We really want to help. And that's what strengthening the elders, um, strengthening the support for elders is about. The first one was at Keystone, and it was very good. It was elders from the three, four, like five or six different reservations in South Dakota oh, wow. who okay. brought their needs, you know, to share with us. And, and then we had the virtual conversation, and we're planning some in our communities at home okay. with our, you know, with our survey um, and meeting their needs and helping our elders in, on every level.
people who helped in indigenous response, some of them were elders. And I couldn't see them as elders because I was so used to seeing my grandma who was 90 years old, standing on a roof, fixing her <laughs> shingles, you know, feeding horses at 96, still hauling a bucket of water, you know. And so when we see elders, it's like at home, I think it's 55, 60. I tell my brothers, you know, you guys are elders. No. <laughs> but they also deliver they're they're like because that's what kind of you know communities natives native communities are like that when there's something going on it's like innate you just want to give you just want to be there and help and be a part of it and and everybody was like on the same level you know when that came about we were like this factory that was born in Mm -hmm. the in the secret factory it was call it because you know, we had to wait until for 72 hours, according to COVID regulations or whatever, for the everything to be safe to touch imports that came in, like our foods and stuff. And then our, our camp cook actually was like the one that set this up with all these mentors and the young people that came and put them on stations and we just pack them through. And then our drivers will come through and we'll fill up their cars and then they'll take... 50 elder bags and go give them out and that that was that was your day strengthening the support for elders is i'm it's like a godsend Mm. because we've lost so many and you know a lot of our elders today have they're survivors of the boarding school and they need extra support to get through that also and a lot of them at home you know a majority of our elders raise their grandchildren Mm. There's different levels that we need to support our elders. It's just a really beautiful initiative that I'm excited, you know, for Generations Indigenous Ways to be a part of. Thank you so much to Helene for speaking with me and sharing your inspiring work. The passion, heart, and roll up your sleeves and get it done spirit that Helene has is really evident in just sitting and speaking with her. And in my opinion, It's what we need more of in the world. You can find out more about Generations Indigenous Ways and how to support their work, including the Indigenous Response Program, at giways.org. You can also follow them on Facebook. GIW's Summer Science Field Institute camps will take place in June and July this summer for youth from 6th through 12th grade. Find details on their site, which is also linked in this episode's show notes. This episode was recorded on the homelands of the Crow, Shoshone, Bannock, Cheyenne, Blackfeet Nation, and Salish tribes, who all interacted with and stewarded these lands for thousands of years, and still do today. This episode is part of the Life in the Land project, and this season of the project is generously supported by the Greater Montana Foundation, which benefits the people of Montana by encouraging communication with an emphasis on electronic media, on issues, trends, and values of importance to present and future generations of Montana. This season is also supported by the Crocus Foundation, Bioregions International, the Nature Conservancy, Montana Watershed Coordination Council, Montana Forest Collaboration Network, and Kestrel Aerial, with additional support from Blackfoot Communications, Sarah Rubick, Rodney Fry, Beth Madden, and Bill Long and Billy Miller. 
You can find all of the films and podcasts that are part of the Life in the Land project at lifeintheland.org. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate it if you're able to share this episode with others and subscribe to the Stories for Action podcast. Find out more about all of our work, including films and storytelling workshops at storiesforaction.org. And check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Stories for Action. Thank you so much for being a part of our community, where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to create human connection and advance a thriving planet for all.